There is a special and I think maybe difficult position to be in in a family when you're the middle child. Uh, middle children often say that they're forgotten, nobody pays attention. I was in a family of six kids. Uh, you've heard them before, Larry, Perry, Barry, Terry, Jerry, Gary, Mary, Eddie. That's, my parents are also in there. But Gary was the firstborn. Uh, he was uh, 12, 13 years older than me. And uh, he's the firstborn. So he was special. The next one born was Jerry, my sister, my only sister. And Jerry uh, must have uh, felt very special when she became the last born. And she was a little princess, you know, and the only girl it would turn out to be. But then she got robbed of her position when her brother, my brother Terry was born. Now Terry reigned as little prince for seven years before another one was born. So he was the baby. And believe you me, he was a baby. Um, seven years later, my brother Barry was born. So he became the next little prince for three years. And then, hello, I was born. I lasted as little prince, king of the household for three years. My dad used to come home from work. My dad and mom worked together in his shop. He was a dry cleaner. So they would drive to work together, work all day together, drive home together, and be at home together. They were always together. Um, and uh, wow. When he'd come in the house in the evening, he'd always go to his pocket, pull out his change, and give me all of his pennies. I was the only one that got them. I was special. Until Larry came along. <laughs> he even got a special name. We called him Gugu. Gugu. And Gugu. Boy, was he rotten spoiled, rotten spoiled. But I lost that special place. Now, you could say my sister lost it. She did. And then my brother Terry had it for seven years, and he lost it. Barry lost it uh, after three years, and I had it for three years. But then he was the last, and I was the one right from the last. I lost everything to Gugu. I get it why people think that, that, that I'm in the middle now. I'm not important. And uh, that often happens in families. As a church, that's where we're at. We're the middle child. There's two major events in Christianity, major, major events that we talk about. One is Christmas, the birth of Christ, the Messiah. The other one is called the second, Segunda Venida, the second coming of the Lord, when we say that Christ will come again. This is what the second reading is about all through uh, Advent keeps looking at the second coming of the Lord. And even though we're preparing for the feast of Christmas, looking backward, uh, as a church, that's already happened 2,000 years ago. So all we do is remember it and celebrate it. But we're not, we're not experiencing the birth of Christ. We're remembering it. And that's very special to us. We prepare to meet Christ in that memory of his birth. And all of Advent is all the reason for purple to do repentance, like, uh, like the reading says today in the gospel, John the Baptist, calling people to repentance because you're going to meet the Christ. And you better be ready to meet the Christ if you want his power and life and grace and gifts to flow into you. But we've already met the Christ, as the second reading talks about. We know Christ. We're, we're baptized. There's, these three are going to be baptized and receive all these sacraments. And that's why the church has gone back to the catechumenate. Uh, the second reading the letter to the Romans, it was written at a time where 
people were catechumens sometimes for years because they weren't led into the church until they really believed and they really knew what they were doing and they were really ready to meet Christ. So they went through this catechumenate period, like I say, sometimes for a couple of years. And then they were welcomed into the church in baptism, were confirmed and received the Lord in the Eucharist. But all of the language of the church talks to us about meeting Christ at the second coming. Here's the problem. We can pinpoint pretty much the day of the birth of Jesus Christ, or we pinpoint the year. But we don't know when the second coming is coming. Paul was talking about it in the second reading way back in the first century. We're still waiting after 2,000 years. So quite frankly, I, we're a middle child. We, as a church, we, we're stuck in the middle. We've celebrated that. We will celebrate that, but here we are. So what do we do during this time? This is a very special time, but I want to share something with you. When I was in the college seminary, there was a play. It was a theater of the absurd, which was just becoming popular in the 50s. And the people that wrote these plays and stories and things, they didn't believe in much of anything. They said, life's absurd. Life's absurd. We're just here. Uh, they didn't really believe in God, many of them. So let me read this to you. It's short. Waiting for Godot was a true innovation in drama and the theater of the absurd's first theatrical success. The play consists of conversations between Vladimir and Estragon, who are waiting for the arrival of the mysterious Godot, that's G-O-D-O-T, Godot, who continually sends words that he will appear, but never does. The play goes on for about two hours, and I tell you, I was bored. Because all they did was say, he's coming. Well, when is he coming? Well, you don't know. And they had these conversations for two hours with an intermission. That was the best part. <laughs> so, uh, at the end of the play, someone comes and says, Godot's not coming. And so, the play ends with the two of them standing there on the stage. They don't go anywhere, and the curtain comes down. Oh, my God. <laughs> and this is what the reflection about the whole play is about. Similar to the absurdity of existence, is the absurdist thinks, waiting for good low explores the theme of the purposelessness of life. Could you imagine living a life without any purpose? Why are you here? I don't know. What are you going to do with your life? I don't know. What have you accomplished so far? Nothing. What do you want out of life? I don't know. That's the absurdist way of living. They just don't know what they're doing or where they are or why they're there. Uh, do you hope you live a long life? Whatever. Well, I'll tell you, that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is loaded with purpose. The Christian life is filled with meaning. I'll tell you, if you can get meaning out of that, you know you're believing something powerful. As he hung on that cross for three hours, bleeding to death, suffering incredible pain and total rejection and being mocked, and everything that he had preached to them being mocked, ridiculed, he had the audacity to find such purpose that he could forgive them and love them. His killers. How do you do that? That's somebody with a divine purpose. Somebody that thinks so clearly, feels so clearly, whose head and heart are absolutely connected as one. 
that he could be going through that suffering and say, Father, forgive them all. They know not what they do. That's why the cross is so central to our lives. It hangs in every church. It really is the, uh, one of the focal points of the church. That's why we mark ourselves always with the cross. When we come into the church and dip our hands in the water, we call our baptism, but we cross ourselves. Even when I was in Venice, it was a big gang territory, big gang territory. I went there as a young priest, my third year of priesthood, and I knew all the gang members. I went to the park one day in my Pendleton and my sandals like an idiot and, and walked into the park. He said, who are you? Because uh, most of them didn't go to church, but a few of them did. Uh, and they knew who I was. And I greeted each one because they looked at me like, ooh, those eyes were scary. And I went up to each one and said, hello, I'm Father Perry. What's your name? To every single one of them. They told me their names, even their nicknames. I'm Gumby. I'm Squid. Okay. <laughs> So I met them all, and I told them, they said, why are you here? Nobody from the church ever comes here. I said, because you're my parish, and I want to get to know you, and I'm here for you. And they, they had never heard a priest say that to them. So I realized that the cross is just the remarkable center of our faith. I used to watch these guys driving their car, going probably to do some hoodlum business somewhere, come to the church and mark themselves as they drove in front of the church. I thought, whoa, <laughs> who are you going to go beat up as you mark yourself with the cross? <laughs> but somehow that was an important purpose of their life. So here we are in Advent. And the proof of why the church says this is not purposeless, but it is filled with purpose, is that the church doesn't have a Sunday of Advent or a day of Advent. It has a season. There are four weeks in this season. We keep getting more light, more light, more light. And then strangely all, we put a pink candle in there for the third week. And I always mix them up. It's either Letario or Gaudete, but I think it's Gaudete Sunday next week, the third week. And why the third week? Because there's only one week left, one candle left, and then we meet Christ in his birth. And so the church is saying, dig in here. This is a season of preparation. The purpose, the purpose of Advent is to ready ourselves. And the real birth of Christ isn't going to be in a, in a little manger scene over there. That's just how we depict it. The birth of Christ has got to be here. That's the purpose of Advent, to ready the heart, to keep opening and listening and saying, come in, Lord, come in, come, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. We want to welcome the Lord so that he makes the difference and makes the purpose. Isn't that phrase that we say, uh, he's the reason for the season? The reason for the season. To prepare to meet Christ the Lord in his birth that we remember, so that we'll be ready when he comes, whenever that is. But more important of all, we'll be ready right now, this day, this hour, this celebration, to open ourselves to meet Christ and to be filled with his grace.